You're listening to Tooth Be Told. For the latest updates, like our SPIU Alberta Facebook page and follow us at SPIU Alberta on Instagram. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Tooth Be Told podcast. I'm Ying and I'm joined today by Nick. Hey everyone, I'm Nick. I'm a second year dental student here at the U of A and I'm excited to be back co-hosting for another episode. Yeah. Uh, Today's episode is very special for us because we have our first non-student speaker. Our guest speaker today is a very familiar figure here at the School of Dentistry. Today we're joined by Dr. Blaina Coyne. Thank you for being here, Dr. Coyne. My pleasure. Thanks for the invite. Uh, Would you be able to give us a quick introduction about yourself? Sure. Well, I am a born and bred Edmontonian, so I was raised in the West End here. I went to St. Francis Xavier High School. Um, I graduated from U of A Dentistry in 1989. Um, I am personally into all things sporting. I participate. I watch. I, yeah, I I can't get enough. Um, I have coached a fair bit, um, a few different sports, and if it paid better, that's probably what I would do, but... (laughs) Um, teaching is kind of like coaching. So I guess I've got the best of that too. So, yeah. Any particular sports that you're super passionate about? Um, I guess, you know, being a Canadian, I, I did play a lot of hockey. So hockey's one of them. Um, football I'm, I'm quite passionate about as well, but probably the thing that I've been really involved in the last few years or watching and playing is tennis. Um, so not that I played a lot as a kid, but I really do enjoy it. Um, yeah. Montreal Canadiens or Edmonton Oilers, Dr. Coyne? Oh, then why even ask? Habs all the way. My last name is Acadian French, so uh, Habs fan all the way. Now, having said that, uh, I'm born here. I do cheer for the Oilers, but if they did play each other in the final ever, mm, I think it would be the, the red, white, and blue. So, but uh, yeah, I, I do. Um, watch the Oilers. Uh, yeah, I do share season tickets with three others, so I get to a few games a year. And uh, yeah, so it's good. Oh, nice, nice. Well, I guess we probably should talk about some dentistry stuff as well. Sure. It's the dentistry. <laughs> I could talk about hockey as long as <laughs> right. we could, but so you um you had mentioned that you uh, went to the U of A. Um, right after, did you um go into private practice? And if so, where were you working? Yeah, so right when we graduated, and Trudy and I graduated, um, we were in the same class, by the way, the other Dr. O'Coin, Trudy O'Coin. Um, <clears throat> we were deciding on what to do, and we thought we'd like to small start in a smaller place. Uh, Trudy actually grew up in a small town in Peace River, Alberta, in northwestern uh, Alberta. And uh, so we were working on the sale for purchase of a practice in Spruce Grove, so just west of Edmonton. That kind of fell through. That sale, uh, the gentleman was helping us with that. So, well, I know we're practicing Hinton. We drove out there. Um, and we saw it and we liked the area close to the mountains and everything. So, um, that's where we started, right? Um, no associateship, just signed our life away and dove off the deep end. What were some of the, um, reasons why you chose a rural location? What are kind of the pros and cons of practicing in a rural location versus the big city, would you say? I would say, you know, one of the reasons we chose it, I think, is not unlike why someone might choose rural now. Um, we were concerned when we were graduated, you know, how busy we would be if we stayed in Edmonton and um, those sorts of things. Um, and but we also thought it would be good to get the experience. I mean, when we saw Hinton, our first mind was, oh, well, we'll stay here, you know, 
five years and then we'll move back to Edmonton and 25 years later, we were still there. So, but it was um, just one of those things where we thought it would be a good place to start. And it just turned into be a really good fit for ourselves and raising our family. That's great. Was there anything that surprised you the most about working in a rural location? Um, I think that probably what surprised me the most is how really um, there was such a sense of community and this isn't dentistry related, but we just got so involved with everything outside of dentistry, um, you know, whether it was um, sports or whether it was um, some of the community activities we got involved in. And we just developed really close friendships and just tried to become part of the, the fabric of the community. So, um, and that was probably the, the biggest thing about it. Um, and those friendships we've made, even though some people have moved away and we've moved away and some are still there, these are all still really close friends of ours today. And funny, none of them are dentists. So just the way it worked out. Mm-hmm. No, that sounds great. And what would you say to a new graduate trying to decide between working rurally or in a urban center? So I think, you know, the one thing that um, I would say, it is a good experience. You will get a little more variety of of procedures you might do, but there is a a level of accountability if you live and work in the same small town, Um, meaning that, um, you know, the people that you work on and the children you work on, you see them in the grocery store, you see them in the arena, you see them. So um, that's a good thing that you have a level of accountability. But I always say the one thing you really love about the small towns, sometimes it gets you too, is, and that's, um, you know, it's nice to have that connection, have that connection, but sometimes it might be nice to be a little bit anonymous too, but um, I'd take the small community over that any day. It was, it was really good. I, you know, I think the same thing can happen in a larger center too, you know, through your community activities and that kind of thing. It doesn't necessarily have to be a, a smaller place, but rural dentistry, I think, has its benefits as, as to what the experience you would gain there. Um, but I would stress, no matter where you practice, as you mentioned, to be part of the, of the community and get involved in other ways outside of dentistry is really important. Right. And you mentioned about the experience that you would gain there as a dentist. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that? Well, I think, you know, it, you know, it, it probably depends where the rural experience is and how rural the experience is. But in my mind, um, patients don't want to travel to, to, to do a lot of things, uh, you know, in winter on roads or whatever. So um, through experience, through continuing education, you, you know, you'll wind up doing more surgery. You'll, um, you know, you'll wind up doing more uh, endodontic procedures, those kinds of things, just because in, of the nature of the beast. I mean, when we went to Hinton, um, we saw a need for um, some care to be delivered in the OR because we saw lots of kids with rampant decay, uh, those kinds of things. But the hospital was only set up for extractions on kind of a, you know, a emergency sort of basis. So we went out and we developed some equipment and we developed a a hospital program for children and uh, you know it blossomed really well so I think there's opportunities in rural places that maybe don't exist um, in the bigger centers as well. Right that's really cool. So now you are an instructor here at the School of Dentistry as well as uh, Associate Chair of Student Affairs correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, 
So I was wondering what would motivated you and your wife uh, to transition to pra- from practice to go um, to start teaching at the university? I guess a couple of things, uh, you know, back in uh, 2009, our, our oldest child was graduating from high school in Hinton and he was moving to Vancouver to go to UBC. Um, and we were looking for perhaps a different challenge. Um, we, I mean, we loved Hinton and we loved the people there, but we were maybe looking for something else. So way back then, um, Dr. Trudio Coyne took a job at the university uh, in the September of 2009 and I stayed in Hinton and she worked for a year and we decided, okay, well, things are going okay. And um, we looked at trying to sell our practice. But I guess the biggest thing that brought us to the university itself was, you know, we wanted to take it as an opportunity to perhaps improve the student experience um, better than our experience was. Um, not that we didn't have some good mentors, but, you know, it was a different sort of kind of place back then. It was, uh, it was a lot more pressure on students. It was, you know, the premise was to prove that you belonged and that you could graduate. Not as it is now when we try to, our job is to foster you on and help you be the best you can be. Um, it wasn't like that way back in the eighties. So, and probably before that, it was even, you know, even tougher. So we wanted to create a better experience for the students. And I guess that's when the opportunity came up for the student affairs role, because it's something we're both passionate about. And we, we talked about it at length and decided one of us should put our name forward. So that's how I wound up in that role as well. No, it's great because I, I love being a student at the School of Dentistry here. It's been super great. It's We've gotten such great mentors and everybody, all the professors that we've had are so accommodating and helpful. And it just makes you feel so much more connected with the profession as well. And yeah, um, for those that may be unfamiliar, what is Student Affairs and how can they help us as dental students at the U of A? So um, the Student Affairs role, and that's myself and the advisors we have, um, we are here to act as student advocates. So that means if you have issues around, say, academics or um, health concerns or things that you're going to need some support getting through, um, then we are here to kind of advise you as to, you know, the best avenue for that support. We're not so much the person that would provide that support if you needed somebody to help you find the place to go to get the support you need. Um, There is some element to us is that we are a support and an advocate on an academic basis. So if someone's in academic jeopardy, um, we know that the student has rights and we're here to support and defend those rights as students as they move through the university process. So, and that means that you know, we know the process that needs to be followed from the faculty end, um, and we're able to help the students understand where um, that process may have fallen down in their case and how we can help advocate for them. So that's one of our big roles as well. Uh, certainly, you know, students get into financial issues, so we can find some avenues around that to provide support for that as well. But really just a student advocate is support, acting as a voice in, <laughs> in some of the many, many meetings I attend, um, I have to say often, did anybody talk to the students? Did anybody inform the students? Did anyone ask the students? So that's, I feel, I think the other faculty get sick of me saying that all the time. But um, so I'm there as your voice to, to act as 
you know, how would the students feel about this change or how would they, um, we need to look at this through their lens. So I try to be that voice in those meetings when there's no students there. Yeah, that's amazing. And I know speaking on behalf of students, we really do appreciate all the stuff that you guys do. It is amazing. And one of the things you did touch on a little bit there with your answer was finances. And I know that is one of the big issues that a lot of students does have or do have. I was wondering if you can maybe go into sort of the how you guys help out financially um, and sort of like advice you can give on student loans or possible bursaries out there and uh, sort of that sort of thing. Yeah, so I mean, first of all, I'll touch on bursaries first. So through the registrar's office, you know, there there are supplemental bursaries available for students in um, dentistry and dentalogy um, that have they can apply, and it's a fairly straightforward and simple process. Um, and there's money there available every year for all the students, and we know how the application process works, how we can send you in the right direction. So I strongly encourage everyone to to do that. Um, on the student loan end of it, we've had some changes as to how our students have registered uh, over the last couple of years and that um, it sort of created a unforeseen circumstance from the student aid office within the government of Alberta and ourselves and the university. What it did was when they registered you in three terms instead of two, that created a bit of a problem. So we've been able to hopefully advocate and eliminate that. Unfortunately, it won't happen until next year, but. Um, through the summer, we were able to work through that process. So um, we have made the offices here on campus, the student loan people aware of our situation. So they're well-versed. Um, so when anybody now wants to appeal a loan, I would suggest you talk to not just Alberta Student Aid, but I would talk to the office at the university because they know the situation and they can help the students navigate through that. I've heard lots of students say, well, I talked to Alberta Student Aid and they explain this to me and I'm like, yes, they are correct, but um, we can hopefully help you sort of through that process if you speak to those people in that office in the uh, student service center as well. So they're well aware, many meetings, we know what's going on. So hopefully for next, we couldn't change it for this year, it was just too late, but next year it'll be changed so that uh, the maximum amount will be reachable again for students. So um, the other thing is there is availability for you know, on occasion, we get students that have an emergency need for funds, um, meaning they can't pay their rent, they, they can't buy food. Um, sometimes, a lot of times, we'll get students that don't, you know, because of family circumstances, they've had to take some of their lines of credit or whatever and help their family elsewhere in the country. They don't live here, and they've had to send some money to them. So they're really short. And, and typically, this happens towards the very latter end, last few months of the program. You know, they've budgeted so well. Um, up until that point and then all of a sudden something you know unforeseen happens and all of a sudden it's a financial burden um, and they don't have funds so so we have availability to provide um, absolutely emergency funds to students that that need it um, and that's a fairly quick simple process that we can get rolling on quite quickly when someone needs it so I'd like that to be known that that process exists as well. Awesome. And along with yourself, who are some of the other members of the student affairs team? So one of the other student advisors is my spouse, Dr. Trudy O'Korn, yeah, uh, and Dr. Gerald Demchuk. And then on the dental hygiene side, uh, uh, Professor Pratt and uh, yeah, Dr. Ava Chow. Yeah, thank you about the appeal stuff. I'm trying to appeal my student loans 
right now. <laughs> and maybe I'll go talk to those, uh, the people here at the university as well. Yeah. So just to reach out to them, you with a chat or just a phone call, it's probably the easiest thing to do because they're well, they're well aware of it. So they might be able to help you get through it. Okay, for sure. Um, and in addition to student affairs, you also help with teaching students in the clinic. Uh, what do you think is the most rewarding or best part about teaching the future generation of dentists? I mean, you know, I mean, certainly the one-on-one -on -one clinical teaching is good, but the mentorship about trying to, you know, help students to look at each patient as an individual and how they can help that patient uh, improve their overall oral health, overall health together. That's an important role. I think that watching students come from, um, you know, very inexperienced clinicians in September of year three with a few things under their belt in second year and to where they are when they leave some 20 months, roughly 19 months later, it is unbelievable. The improvement and the skill level, um, it is just, mind-boggling to me really where where you uh where all the students get to so it's just so impressive and so rewarding um it really is so going back to your time in private practice i was wondering if you could uh talk about one of your most interesting or memorable patient encounters that you had sure uh, i'll tell you a memorable one it was interesting on a lot of levels too um so i had a patient long-time patient uh, he was probably just a teeny bit older than me at the time you know maybe I don't know, mid thirties or so. Um, and he was kind of a mountain man, lived kind of out in the bush off the land. And anyways, uh, he came to me one day and he says, uh, I need, I need, I need you to do something for me. I said, what's that? He says, well, I've got a dog and it's a Rottweiler and it's broken off one of its lower cuspids. And, you know, the dog just can't, you know, it, it really changes their personality as a Rottweiler if they don't have that lower cuspid, you know, so is there anything we can do? And I said, well, I'm not too sure, but, you know, whatever. So I had a good friend, a guy I played hockey with that was the veterinarian in Hinton, small town. Um, so anyways, um, the veterinarian brought the dog in and, and we, you know, into his office and, and we were able to actually take a little x-ray there. Um, he had something we could do and obviously it broke it off into the pulp. So this cuspid on this dog needed a root canal and it needed a crown. So anyways, so I talked to the, you know, the patient, the dog's owner and, and the veterinarian he says, well, yeah, we'll, we'll bring the dog into your office after hours. We'll, you know, put the dog to sleep and you can prepare to do the root canal. And so I did the root canal on the cuspid with x-rays and the longest files I could find. Those things are incredibly long. Yeah. Um, and I made this gold crown uh, for this Rottweiler. So uh, <laughs> this Rottweiler was walking around. He came back, you know, two weeks later, put him sleeping and it cemented this crown on. So so I, I made a gold crown for a Rottweiler. Probably the funniest part of the whole story is that this, again, I had said was kind of a live off the land mountain man. So I got paid in moose and antelope meat. <laughs> so <laughs> so that's, that's probably my most interesting story from private practice. That wow, is that quite story the story. Had like everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever reach that point in my career and I'm sad about it already. <laughs> <laughs> all right I guess we'll um go back to the clinic floor for a second here um what was the most interesting or memorable encounter that you've had on the clinic floor as an instructor 
You know, I don't know if there's one in particular, there's so many, um, but I'll, I'll see probably the biggest, um, the, the biggest moment that I see most students go through and patients for that matter, is, you know, the dental school can be the place of last resort for a lot of patients, meaning they, they've you know, not had dentistry for a long time, they can't afford it, they didn't have a job or they had a job that didn't have coverage. And, um, they're, they're almost embarrassed when they come in, you know, in the condition of their teeth. And to have the students provide the care to improve someone's smile and function to the point that it brings the patient to tears, that it improves their life so much that uh, that is just a, a, a life-changing experience, I think, for any dental student, certainly the patient, and even me, every time it happens. And I mean, it doesn't happen every time, but it happens quite frequently that, that patients are so pleased with the work you as students provide um, and their emotional uh, outpouring to the students is amazing. Oh, that's so sweet and great. Dr. Coyne, we mentioned earlier that there is another Dr. Coyne here at the university. Would you be able to tell us a little about what it's been like to have spent all of your dental career with her? Kind of how you guys met up until now? Sure, so um, we met uh, before dental school uh, at the dad exam. Um, so that's where we first met. Um, of course, neither one of us knew we were getting into dentistry then. Um, we had a nice conversation, nice chat. I'll be totally honest with you. When I first met her, um, a lot of people don't believe in love at first sight, but I do because I did. Um, and uh, it was uh, it was pretty it was pretty emotional for me. But I never knew if I'd ever see her again. So, anyways, first day at dental school, holy cow, she's there. Now, at the time, she was in another relationship, so I just kind of um, whatever. Uh, but one thing led to another, and we eventually started dating in first year. Um, we got married actually between third and fourth year. And I did that because of the, you know, two-month salary guideline to buy a ring. Like then I didn't have a salary, so I thought that was a good way to slide that through. But no, we, we yeah, so we got married before fourth year. Uh, we were two part poor starving students and uh, made it through our last year together. And then, like I said earlier, we went out to Hinton and we practiced together. We were worried about it, practicing together. We didn't know how that dynamic would work. But to be honest, it was good for us because during the day, you're so busy treating patients that you don't really, I mean, we rarely even ate lunch together most days because we were so busy. Um, but we had similar philosophies and, and uh, you know, we went through the ups and downs together, you know, both in practice and in the community and with our family. And, you know, it's uh, it's just great been able to share um a lot of those stressors be it in private practice or even now at the school um to have someone that kind of gets what you're feeling and understanding so it's good it does create difficulties you know it's hard for us to turn work off it's 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 always there um you know and certainly covid didn't really help that um and we're trying to make some some changes so it's not work all the time um and i think we're making some inroads there but um, I really wouldn't want to be on this journey with anyone else. It's just been fantastic. Um, no, it's not always fantastic, probably from <laughs> her side for sure. Um, but I, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's been, it's been really great. Um, you know, I think the, 
you know, I always, I always joke, I give people, you know, advice when they're about to be married. I said, you know, the secret to happy marriage is to say yes to your, um, you know, but to have a conversation and understand that it's not about you anymore. It's about you, the, the global you. So you got to come to the decision together. The second piece of advice I give is never, ever start a serious conversation in bed because you will fall asleep um, and then you'll be in trouble. Um, and the third piece of advice I give, Trudy really does like this piece of advice, but, and I always say it's easier to beg forgiveness than ask permission. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> oh, Nick, take awesome. those pieces of advice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that story was great (laughs) that's so sweet yeah yeah. definitely learned a lot (laughs) okay one of the things I know that you both of you guys have done before has been mission trip leaders for something like dentistry for all I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about those experiences and what that's been like yeah so we got involved way back uh, when I first came to school in 2014 Dr. Dennis Bedard who used to be a pediatric instructor here um, and kind of run the pedo division at times, um, got me involved. He was the one that started dentistry for all. And I went to Nicaragua that year or, or in 2015, I guess. And, um, it was a fantastic experience. Um, we went to, um, very small remote villages and lived with the community. Um, sometimes in someone's house, sometimes in a school, um, tree and we'd set up our clinic in a community center sometimes in a house again or, um, so it was just I think the ability for us to not only just work on the people that live in the community and get to know them has been fantastic the, the people are very appreciative of the work we provide um, the, uh, the things that they endure on a day-to-day basis to get the care they need for not just dentistry but for a lot of things is you know, fairly amazing. You know, some days we would be get to the clinic, you know, just before seven or seven o'clock and we were supposed to open at eight and they'd be lined up around and it would still be kind of almost dark. So a lot of these people would come on horseback or foot, you know, and they'd come in the middle of the night so they could be their first thing in order to be seen. Um, and then we were able to provide their care and then they'd walk home. You know, I remember a lady that I had to extract some, some very bad teeth on many, many teeth on her. Um, she had walked four hours to get there in the morning and she put a 50 pound bag of rice on her head and walked four hours home when we were done. So um, to see the people and how appreciative they are of the experiences has been, uh, has been amazing. So, uh, and not only that, it's provided the opportunity to get to meet some amazing people that are so passionate about dentistry for all and other organizations like it. So it's been, it's been really good. So it's been difficult with COVID for us not to be able to go. So, because I know that we all know the care is still there, still needs to be done. Um, so we're hopeful we can get back um, in the not too distant future. Uh, in the meantime, we've tried to, uh, through two recently graduated students, um, um, Walter and Reed, um, we developed a partnership with the Yukon government. So we did, went up with them a couple times last year to develop, do some children's dentistry. So we're trying to incorporate this into our own curriculum here at the school to provide some opportunity in country of uh, dealing in, in, uh, in communities that are a little more remote. So um, we're hopeful we'll be able to take that on a new tack and still stay with dentistry for all as well. But it's been a super rewarding experience. Yeah, I 
I'm looking forward to those trips and hopefully with the COVID situation and um, vaccinations, hopefully we're able to attend those trips soon. I think that is all that we have for today. Uh, thank you, Dr. Quinn, for joining us. Uh, you're very so welcome. And you're very welcome. And, you know, I mean, there's so many amazing people at the School of Dentistry, and this is about uh, a team approach and, um, you know, the instructors trying to just just make you the best you can be. And there's so many wonderful uh, faculty members and staff members there that that is their goal. Um, we're all trying to, to make it a great experience. Um, it can be stressful, obviously, at times. But we want you to, uh, yeah, like I say, just become the best practitioner you can be in whatever avenue you choose, general practice, specialty, wherever you go. We want to help you find that, find that path. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. We learned tons, and um, thanks. Probably too much. <laughs> no, <laughs> never too much. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye now.